jersey and gets the bumps. Awfully energized. Johnson out of the corner. One of those guys for Sanford. Bang! Britton Johnson, let's go on the Mean Streets podcast. William Galloway, Britton Johnson with you here. Sorry for that um, decibel level reaching an all-time high on this podcast. Uh, I'm William Galloway, joined behind the glass by Britton Johnson. Britton, happy Sunday. We're back after three weeks on another podcast talking Alabama basketball, Sanford basketball, and whatever else is on our mind. Welcome in, and happy six-game win streak to you and the Sanford Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, definitely a good run for the Bulldogs, and uh, I mean another dominant win for the Tide. So we have a lot of good things to talk about uh, today, kind of going over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so it is February nineteenth, and uh, we sleep in May. March is coming, which is the best basketball month. Uh, if you if you know anything about basketball, which most of you that listen to this do. Um, so let's start in Tuscaloosa with the Crimson Tide. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to the Main Streets podcast. Um, the hundreds of thousands of you that listen on a, on a weekly basis, we very, very much appreciate and are thankful for. Alabama, number one in the country, 23-4 and four overall, 13-1 and one of the conference. Obviously uh, had a skid dropping one at Tennessee this week, but the Crimson Tide are 13-0 and and proved their dominance by blasting Georgia on Saturday at home. They've also blasted LSU at home. They've blasted, uh, I think, most of their SEC teams at home aside from Mississippi State. That's the term we're going to use today. We're going to call it a buzzsaw. So, Britton, talk about what you've seen from Alabama and what's been so impressive in uh, what has been and what has truly been the number one team in the country. Yeah, I mean... I haven't looked around the country enough probably to to be able to fully and accurately make this statement, but I can't imagine that there's a better team at home right now than Alabama. Um, what they are doing to teams on their home floor is it's astounding, really. Like, you don't see this in basketball. You see this in football when you, you know, and, and obviously as Alabama fans, we've been fortunate enough to see a lot of it uh, in football where, you know, you'll have a bunch of these 30, 40-point wins. It doesn't happen in the game of basketball um, against – quality competition to week in and week out um i mean i'm surprised if adam and and the boys don't check in with about three minutes left in these games at this point because most of them i mean i was looking through it and even the games ended up being quote unquote closer like like florida it's like it was a 29 point game at halftime (laughs) yeah that florida final score was 97 to 69 it's unbelievable because what you're seeing is it's not like oh they're up 10 at half and then they go on a little run to go up 20 and all of a sudden it just kind of uh goes up late to being a 30 point game it's like no these are 30 point games at halftime that inflate to 40 and then maybe come back to earth a little bit to 35 but it's like a 57 point win versus vandy um they 40 piece lsu I don't know what the the final was. I yeah, mean, it was a forty. It, it was piece like 40, last night. yesterday. It was like forty four to seventeen at some point in the first half. Yeah, and, and, and we weren't surprised. Like nobody's surprised that it was that. And you're you know? like, why? Why does the scoreboard from Georgia read the same price as a cheeseburger in Coleman Coliseum? <laughs> it, it, it's both seventeen dollars. It doesn't. It's seventeen. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and I, it's just amazing to see. I can't really like overstate that to see to see Alabama be number one I mean we both grew up watching a lot of uh mediocre subpar subpar basketball in the state and to see how far uh it's come in such a short period of time it's a credit to coach Oates it's a credit to what he's built as a credit to all the players on the roster and and their buy-in um 
but it's rare, folks. Like you, you just don't see this. So, so really enjoy this because um, my fear is this becomes an expectation because nobody else is doing this in the country. Like, period. Nobody is up 30 consistently at halftime of these games. Yeah, and I remember. No, and nobody's more greedy than Alabama fans. So don't <laughs> be greedy. This is this is basketball. I mean, I remember two years ago when we destroyed LSU on the road, and that was like our big dominant win. And being up 30 at halftime was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, unbelievable. And they've done it just about every home game in conference play. Um, unbelievable stretch for the Tide. Obviously a, a tough loss uh, against Tennessee. I kind of want to back up before that, though, and, and talk about the road win at Auburn. Um, you know, I don't think this Auburn team is is particularly great, and that's that's not even really a, 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 too much of a shot at them. You know, I, I love Lior. Uh, love getting to see him get some action. Um, but obviously I don't think that they have, um, realized their expectations from before the season. You know, I think they've kind of fallen a little bit. And even that said to win at Auburn, I don't care how good Alabama is or how mediocre Auburn is. It's a tough feat. And and that's the one thing I will give credit to Auburn and Auburn fans for is they really, uh, make it a tough environment to play in, but to overcome that, uh, it's a special group. Uh, that's that's one of those games where you look back at it at the end of the season and say, yeah, that's that's a marquee big win. Um, and so to follow that up with the loss against Tennessee, I think that was the most expected human nature game of all time. But uh, your thoughts on the Auburn game? Yeah, I would say the Auburn game was fantastic. I was able to watch all of the second half, uh, only bits and pieces on my phone of the first half. But, I mean, the – identity that Alabama has tried to establish this year and I think clearly has established of being able to be physical down low and have a lot of depth but also have tremendous guard play uh shoot well on the perimeter um you know there were games early on in the year where Brandon Miller wasn't playing particularly well early on and had second half kind of comebacks you just you saw Alabama can beat you so many ways and they showed that against Georgia by dominating Georgia they showed that again you know dominating LSU at home but they really showed it at Auburn in the 77 to 69 win because there there could have been points where Alabama really really pulled away and it's a testament to who Auburn is as a program and what they're capable of um, but they're not on the same level as Alabama there are a few teams in the country and and had that game been played in Coleman Coliseum which we'll have the chance to see here next week um, on Wednesday March 1st they're not you know it's it's like it's like a baby swimming in the deep end of the pool you don't you don't belong there um, and and the only thing the only reason I think Alabama that Auburn was in that game with Alabama is because they were they were playing on on their home turf, so to speak. Yeah, I know I agree, and um, you know it's it's cool to see that now. I'd say two of the biggest home court advantages, three of the biggest home court advantages, if you include the Sanford Bulldogs, which of course we will on the on the Mean Streets podcast um, in the country, uh, are, are teams from the state of Alabama. Um, and, and you know, a couple years ago, you could maybe say Auburn once they, uh, you know. Auburn fans have been paying attention to basketball for the last five years, and once they really started to, there's been great buy-in. But uh, a couple years ago, you probably couldn't say the same about Coleman Coliseum. Um, Now you're seeing students line up at the door 90 minutes before tip just to fighting to get in the building. Um, The buy-in from the school, from the students, from the fans has been tremendous, and it's it's matched uh, what Coach Oates is doing uh, in Tuscaloosa. 
and so that's just been really cool to see. And, and I know we're kind of harping a lot on, on what they're doing at Coleman, but it's just because it's so rare. Like yeah. you, just, you just you just don't see it. No, and, and you and I were were two and three years old. The last time Alabama was number one in the country before I guess it was last week was it's, the, it's the, the ranking came out this past Monday. Uh, it was two thousand two, two thousand three season, so spring of two thousand three, and Alabama has established itself as a football dominant school, and maybe did you think okay maybe the the basketball team might get a ranking as high as the football team or maybe be a top 10 program no Alabama is the standard Alabama is the top dog in college basketball and I don't I don't know if Nick Saban's ever come to two games in a season when he's been <laughs> head coach at Alabama to come watch the basketball team uh and and he made that yesterday made the the short walk from Malmore over to Coleman to watch Alabama just destroy Georgia um, and he's been used as a recruiting tool before to meet with recruits, and I think I've heard stories of him being more than willing to talk with guys to come play basketball and other sports uh, at the Capstone. But we, when Nick Saban wants to show up more than once in a season, you know you've got something special that you've built. Yeah, no doubt. And um, it, it's, it's funny to see because I know a lot of uh, my friends, a lot of Alabama fans uh, have grown frustrated with maybe uh, – the lack of hateful competitors on on the football team and maybe uh, that being a sign of the direction of the football program. I'm never going to say that Alabama's trending downwards because if you want to count the last couple years as down years, then uh, still pretty tremendous results. But I I understand what they're saying in that. And then you turn to what's going on in the Alabama basketball program, and it's a team full of dogs like that are coming to take your heart out every single game. And, And that's, I mean, the stories I heard about pregame at Auburn, just our guys barking at the fans as much as they were barking at them, um, they were ready to go. And, and this team kind of has a chip on their shoulder, which is really cool to see even in the number one team of every time they're walking into a game, they're, they're almost, they feel disrespected that you showed up. You know, I know that there's a, the Petway quote uh, that was maybe slightly more explicit than that. But that's a that's pet, and that's why I love pet. Uh, but basically, be, saying your problem is that you showed up and you want to be on the yeah. same court. It's like Will Anderson saying, it's, "I see it as disrespectful mm-hmm. when someone wants to step on the field with me." And but that's really the mentality of this team, and you can see it every time they take the court. Um, you know, I think the problem with Alabama basketball, as a problem with many teams, many programs around the country, is is playing to the competition. You know, over the years, that's kind of been what people have said about Alabama and you, you I mean you you can't say anything but that they're playing to a standard right now yeah. and uh if they're up 30 at halftime they're trying to be up 40 by the 15 minute mark in the second half like that's just kind of their mentality um I've, I've seen Nate Oates talk about a lot about maturity and how these a lot of young guys a lot of new faces uh team chemistry has obviously come together as they're they are the number one team in the country but the eagerness of the guys to play unselfishly, to play hard. You know, you just think about Bucky's three characteristics of fearless, hardworking, and unselfish. Those guys want to do things like that and what Oates has built on his mantra. Um, and, and they're playing for each other. They're still hungry, and they know there's more out there to accomplish than just being number one. And there's, there's yeah, Alabama lost to Tennessee in a very physical game. Alabama's got to prove that they need to be a more physical team, especially on the road, uh, and be able to play in that level. Because as you and I were talking before we started recording, 
the games are going to become more physical and you're going to you're going to be more tired as you play more frequently in March. And so that's one thing Alabama's really got to get in this last stretch of conference play is is being able to match physicality because that might be all that some teams have against Alabama is we might not be able to shoot well against you. We might not be able to defend you, but we will be as physical as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah, and and kind of to backtrack a little bit before uh, I touch on that, just you talking about the unselfishness that you see in championship teams. You know, we saw that two years ago, um, and and what I've seen is that people follow uh, the leader on that, and um, so whether that be from the most talented players on the team, I, I've seen it so much in Noah Gurley, being an example of that, being a veteran guy that. Um, when you have guys that genuinely cheer for others' success on the team over their own, it's, it's special. And, and for Noah to kind of take some of the sacrifices that he has this year um, to let the young guys do what they're doing and, and to be the most supportive teammate. Nobody else can say anything because they're the leader of this team is showing them how it's done. And so they can't be frustrated with, oh, man, maybe I'm not playing as much this game because they're looking over at Noah and it's like this man has sacrificed so much because he cares about winning and he cares about us. And so I think that's the mark of a championship team and something that we're seeing uh, for sure at Alabama this year. Um, And then to get to a little bit the Tennessee game, uh, yeah, like we were saying, you know, if I were to say there's one kind of way to beat this Alabama team, we saw it a little bit, ironically, in in a couple games that they won uh, against Mississippi State. Just in a less talented Mississippi State team, really kind of going toe to toe with them for a while, and then uh, Tennessee obviously beating them. Uh, you see a physical game, a slower paced game, and a game where they try to capitalize on turnovers and on, uh, like you said, just playing really physical basketball. Um, and so that's something that they're going to have to work on because you're going to have two or three games in March if you're going to try to achieve what you want to achieve that are going to be just like that. Because um, I think about the way that a Big Ten team is built, some of those Pac-12 teams, whether it be UCLA um, or some of those other teams, uh, even in the Big 12, there are some teams around the country that that's kind of their mantra, and that's the style of play is just different. Um, whereas an up-and-down team, like you're not going to win a track race. You're not going to run a track meet against Alabama. So teams are going to try to make it ugly. They're going to try to get as many turnovers as possible. And they're going to be really physical. And so uh, hopefully they can learn from the Tennessee game. And, uh, you know, obviously we've seen that they've already bounced back from it. But uh, just kind of looking ahead to, I mean, that's kind of where we're at with Bama, where it's like, oh, we're not as much focused on the game to game. We're focused on the the big picture stuff because I'm not looking ahead uh, to, man, are they going to be able to win a couple more games this year? It's, it's hey, are they going to be able to make a Final Four? And those are the kind of games you're going to have to figure out how to win if you want to be playing in April. Um, you know, obviously we said March is the best month in basketball, but it ends in April. And if you want to be playing basketball in April, you got to win games like that. And yeah. that's that's what we lost two years ago. I mean, not to um, draw back bad memories, but we lost it to a UCLA team that was respectfully inferior to us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because they made it really physical. We We – played their game we played a slow-paced basketball game we played exactly how they wanted us to play and uh we lost the game we probably shouldn't have as a result and and that's March that's exactly how it happens and and speaking of that you know talking about matchups and rankings and and playing teams differently 
I'm looking on KenPalm.com right now. Houston is number one. Alabama is number two. And you look at all the numbers that Alabama's got. Adjusted defensive efficiency, number three. Adjusted tempo, Alabama's number two in the country. Overall, they've got the number two rating. How, and you're a smart guy, you're good with analytics. You've played in, in two systems now at the collegiate level that have had success in their respective conferences in terms of playing with numbers. How in the world is Houston, who lost to Alabama at home, ranked higher than Alabama? Yeah, you know, that's that's really not a question for me as much as it is for Kim Pomeroy. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, and, you know, I'm – I'm not offended with with them being ranked in an especially on an analytics database like that in number two, um, and I know they beat Houston, uh, and I think there's great argument that they're better than Houston as a result. But uh, what I do love about Kim Palm is it, it kind of encompasses the entire entirety of a season, um, and man, I think that's a tough Houston team. So uh, as much as I think Alabama could win that game, that's a team I wouldn't want to see again. Um, if I were if I were them, if I were Sanford, either way, yeah. And, and, and I think there's something to be said too about being number two, because you're still not where you want to be. You're not the best. People don't think you're the best. You know, no. people would look at Alabama and Houston again and say, "Well, I, I'd I'd take Houston minus one and a half. I'd take Houston minus two and a half." And I think that makes you hungry instead of complacent, which in, in turn can be a good thing. Um, Anyways, that, that's a touch on Alabama. We have lots more to say, and we, we care deeply about the Crimson Tide. So we will do that on the next podcast, continuing mm-hmm. to talk about Alabama so we see what unfolds with the end of the regular season. Um, but moving to Birmingham, talking about the Sanford Bulldogs now. The Bulldogs are on a six-game win streak. They're 20-9 and overall, 14-2 and in conference play, a program record number of conference wins by four games and counting now. Uh, thirteen and two at home with one home game remaining. This is the last week of SoCon play. The Bulldogs will go on the road to Chattanooga and face potentially Jake Stevens, maybe if he's back on Wednesday at Chattanooga, and then Saturday hosting the hated Furman Paladins. Um, mm-hmm. I got to give an apology to my sister and brother-in-law who attended Furman, graduated <laughs> from Furman. Um, but that game will likely determine the regular season conference champion Saturday at two o'clock. Sorry, one o'clock at the Pete Hanna Center. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, um, it's really cool to be a part of a special season like this. Um, you like you said, we are just destroying the old records for what Sanford has done, especially in the SoCon. Back to back twenty one seasons. Uh, I don't know if that's ever been done in school history. Um, you know, it, it's cool because Sanford is the standard of the SoCon in so many sports, right? Um, you look at who's won the championships this year, and, and it's basically Sanford in every sport, and that's not an accident. That's kind of uh, just what they do. And so to be able to kind of— and, and it's truly every sport, soccer, yeah. football, track, track, boys and girls, men's and, men's and women's basketball are currently the top of the league. Yeah, and so to be able to kind of join in that legacy, I mean, you, you go to the Pete Hanna Center and you look around at those banners, and there are a lot of them. Um, and you don't see a lot of basketball. And so to be able to say, hey, we're a part of a team that's doing stuff that pretty much has never been done um, or hasn't been done in a very long time at Sanford is, is such a cool feeling. But um, I think we're all very focused on the task at hand and know that 
um, the job's not even close to finish and, and that this week is going to be so huge for us. Um, huge, huge win this past Wednesday against UNCG. You know, it, this whole time it's been, for those keeping up, uh, really a three-team race for the regular season crown, um, us, Furman, and UNCG. And, um, you know, UNCG had two losses. We had two losses going into Wednesday in conference play. And um, great home crowd. We were down for, for really probably the majority of the game. And then the last 10 minutes we went on a big run and ended up winning by 12. Uh, so Scored 45 points in the last 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Is that good? That's good. That that feels good. Bucky texted me that at two o'clock in the morning when he was <laughs> doing his uh, his appreciative thank you post game text. Yeah, and uh, and so I, I think we have just a, an incredible thing going right now uh, to be able to win that game. That was a very physical game. It uh, really one where we probably we didn't have our best stuff for like like what I was saying thirty minutes of the game, and so to just kind of get hot at the right time and be able to pull that one out is huge. Um, and then, you know, turn into VMI, uh, who granted. Which, which, hold on, let me stop you before VMI, because you were never, you were down, but you were never out. And yeah. so I think it's telling of that pro, of y'all's, you know, Sanford men's basketball program that you're able to sustain, you know, taking the the beating, so to speak, of falling down, ten, you know, it was double digit points, I believe, but staying in yeah. the game, not losing your identity, staying true to what you do, and then being able to, keep doing what you do and then all of a sudden it starts working because you're you're wearing them out and that to me was the epitome of buckyball that's what he's done in his 15 20 years of coaching experience yeah you know it's it's a 40 minute game and um we know we are never out of it and that's you know that's one thing that's beautiful about the way we play is that we can beat a team literally pretty much any way possible whether you know if you want to play a slow paced game and um or if we want you to play a slow-paced game, we can we can win that way. We can win a low-scoring game. We can win a high-scoring game. We can win a fast game. We can win a slow game. We can win a physical game. We can win uh, a, a a you know a beauty contest. Not that that's really our style, but you know we're capable of doing it as we showed uh, against VMI. Um, and so that's the one thing I love about the way we play. Um, we are always the aggressors. So as much as I say. You know, we can adjust and adapt to any game, which is true. We also, nine times out of ten, make you play our style. So we don't let you dictate the way the game's going to be played. We dictate that. And and um, I, I so love that about the way we play. Um, you know, we kind of set the tone in all four phases of the game, half-court, full-court, half-court defense, and full-court defense. And so um, the fact that we really – strive to be great in all four of those areas I think is is something that separates us from a lot of other teams yeah let me ask you this because you are behind the curtain and you can kind of give us some insight I think that's why a lot of people enjoyed our podcast last year when you were able to take us behind the curtain of Alabama basketball Mm -hmm. but with the success you're having this year like you've said and we've said that has not happened for Sanford men's basketball in quite some time and, and and maybe ever because we're currently shattering um um regular season records and program records what are you doing at this point in the season that's able to, you know, you're able to sustain and maintain the success and keep that success moving forward? And practices, we we saw at the high school level, changed tremendously. And, and the state of the program and what you did operations-wise changed tremendously when it got to, to playoff basketball under Bucky. So what are you all doing now in practice that maybe you weren't doing in non-conference play or preseason? What 
what has been um, working for y'all to sustain this six-game winning streak? Yeah, you know, um, well, I'll start with this. From the jump, our focus is always on conference play. And to an extent, that's every team across the country, but especially in one-bid leagues, um, like, you know, what we're in in the SOCON, um, you know, we want to win non-conference games. I'm never going to say, we, you know, we're, we're trying to walk into a game and lose. But um, our focus is always how can we be the best team we can be for conference play. So you look at the 13 games we played in the non-conference, and, um, you know, we were 6-7. and seven, And I'd say a lot of it's because we weren't trying to be the best non-conference team in the country. We were trying to be the best team we can be for for SOCOM play. And, um, you know, I think it all has really helped us a lot. Just all the stuff we did leading up to it has helped us a ton. And then I'd say this, that, um, and you know this, um, it's all about the process. Like extraordinary success is found an extraordinary execution of ordinary details. And so um, we are always focused on being the absolute best we can be in all the small stuff. And so you look at a week to week and it's honestly pretty boring. Like we've scaled it back some from what we did in the uh, preseason and stuff because of just, you know, I hate to use the word load management because of the, the way it's thrown around in the NBA now. But just because when you get into conference, it's really just about focusing on the next game and trying to be as fresh as you can be for each game. But you look at our week to week, and it's it's pretty identical every week. Um, obviously, we we work on slightly different variations of stuff for maybe a particular matchup here and there. We might learn a new play, um, you know, because we run, we throw so much, so many different things at you um, in terms of what we run as a press man zone. Um, and you're getting to the point at these last two regular season games where everyone has seen you, and this is Chattanooga and Furman's second time to see you. Around. For sure, for sure. And so that's what is awesome for us because a lot of times you'll play a team that may run man 100% of the time or may run this type of offense 100% of the time. And um, whereas for us, it's like, yeah, we might have thrown this at you the first time and we might throw it at you again because it's maybe the best way for us to win this game. But we also might throw something completely different at you. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, and, you know, we truly work on every defense that we have, which sounds like an obvious statement. But when you have six or seven different defensive formations, uh, that's a lot of stuff to work on. Um, so it's a lot about just mental lock-in at this point in the season. Obviously, we work hard in practice still, and we still go at each other um, in terms of live drills and stuff. Uh but it's really about mental lock-in and just being as prepared as we can be. Um, that's what the weeks are like here. I mean, I, I'll say this. This is the biggest week of our season coming up, and we're not going to do anything different than what we've done the last eight weeks. And so, um, and, and I'd say that that's good. Like, I wouldn't want to do anything different than what we've done because what we've done is trust the process, and the process works, you know? Absolutely. So, like I said earlier, Chattanooga on Wednesday on the road, 6 p.m. ESPN Plus. Possibly we'll see Jake Stevens for Chattanooga, but also maybe not. Mm. So, just going to leave that one out there. And then Furman Saturday at 1 p.m. This game has now been picked up uh, to be nationally televised. I believe it's the third, maybe fourth nationally televised game for the Bulldogs this year. That game is on CBS Sports Network. And I said 2 o'clock earlier. I think it's 1 o'clock because the TV time. Yeah, they, I think they, they originally it. it was 2. So adjust your plans accordingly. You're going to want to yeah. be there 
and uh, we're trying to pack that place out Saturday. It's, it it needs it's to be look a, like Steph Curry was there in 2008, yeah. 2009, whatever it was. Um, but that'll be the conclusion of the regular season. So, Britton, take me to these games, um, and let's just harp on Furman because truly – I think you throw the result of the Chattanooga game out the window. The result of the Furman game will determine who's one, who's two, going in to the conference tournament the following week. Right, for sure. And um, you know that's not to to belittle or disrespect Chat. Um, that's a great team. Obviously, uh, we talked about Jake Stevens, Jamal Johnson's on that team. You and I both know Jamal and his game pretty well, just from playing him all the way back in high school. And so. Uh, I've gotten to play him a lot, whether it be, you know, Mountain Brook, Spain Park, or Alabama, or Auburn, and now... Alabama, Memphis? Well, I don't know if yeah, you were there for that he, one year. I think yeah, you were still in high school. I played him there. Um, but, you know, obviously he was at Memphis originally, and, and now to, to play him at chat. Um, so he's a great player as well, and, and it's always a tall task to go win on the road. Um, and I'll say this, I think that there's a pride to this team that um, we want to win the regular season title obviously that's kind of our our main goal at this very moment because it's one step at a time um but we know that we also want to be the standalone team and to be the only team with two losses would be a really special feat um so i don't want to take away from that game that's a big game but uh like you said saturday is probably going to be uh more or less the de facto regular season championship um, it, it is a championship game. Uh, should Furman take care of their business, um, either way, for us, that game will, will decide the tie break. If we if we were to lose against Chat, you know, hope we can pull it out and win. Um, or you know, it will just either way, it will probably decide it. And so uh, we know what Furman is. They're they're a really talented team. They have uh, a few really veteran players that have that have been there a long time and. Um, you know, they're a lot like us in that, you know, I'd say this, they've had more recent success than we have. Um, respectfully, it hasn't amounted to much in, in, in the way of an NCAA tournament berth or uh, a championship, but they've been a very successful program for a few years. And um, we're starting to be the up and coming successful program in the SOCON as well. And we're two programs that are really fighting to give our school the first NCAA tournament berth that they've had in a very, very long time. You know, Furman hadn't been there in 40 years. We haven't been there in at least 20. And so um, trying to really make school history. And so it's, it's a real battle of the giants, if you will. Um, and it's, it's Goliath versus Goliath in a way, um, even though I think based on all the preseason polls and stuff, we would say that we're much more of the underdogs and that no one expected us to be here. Um, and, and again, you, you, you kind of play with that chip on your shoulder. So uh, we're expecting a heavyweight bout Saturday, and we're very excited for it. And, um, you know, it's just one game. And so we, at the same time as I'm saying all this, I also want to say we're not treating it any different than if it were last Saturday at VMI. Uh, Other than the fact that we're not talking to Hampson on Saturday. That is true. It's Hampson hate day uh, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm really excited for it. Hopefully we can basically sell out the Pete. I mean, we're trying to pack that thing out more than it's just about ever been packed out. So uh, trying to get a really live atmosphere, and hopefully it's going to be an unbelievable game, yeah. and hopefully we can come out on top. Your 10-second scouting report on Furman there, 21-7 and seven overall on the road. They are 7-3 and three this year. 
uh, conference play. They're twelve and three. So, like we said, this game will be, you know, presumably uh, determine the regular season conference champion. Uh, and we are very excited about that game. One o'clock tip off in Birmingham in the Pete Hanna Center. If you can't make it for some reason, you can watch it on CBS Sports Network. Tip off one p.m. Saturday, Sanford and Furman. That's going to do it for our college basketball talk. We're going to shoot the breeze here for about three three minutes, uh, three and a half minutes, maybe max. Um, <laughs> but one, we want to talk football for for a second. But I got to say one thing here, Britton. Coach uh, K, who I know your is your dog named after Duke. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, we don't need to get into the government names of our animals here. Yeah, but uh, out of sorry, I don't want to violate <laughs> any, any any hippo policies. Um, <laughs> But Coach K said he was not going to make it about him And uh, once he retired. And what did he do? He showed up for a conference game. He sat courtside, and he made it about him. This, mm. this comes on the heels of years after uh, ruining the reputation of a student journalist by belittling him in a, in a press conference. Um, this comes after making a retirement announcement make, so to, to glorify himself and put a, the pressure on his players in a farewell tour. Um Gosh, this is all sound sounding very hateful. So I apologize for coming off. Sounds like, like you that. got something against him, right? I don't. Now. I don't know the guy. I've never been a Duke fan. Never cared for or against him. But I, I just feel like there you could definitely do things differently. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't know how to. Um, I don't have a, a a crazy stance on this one, just because you know I look at Roy Williams and he'll still go to Carolina games. And yeah. I don't think people think much of that. Um, it, I think it's more that people view Coach K. This is this is the world's view. I grew up a big Duke fan. I'm gonna be really transparent about it. Ever since going to college, I have not been because I've been an Alabama person, uh, obviously, and now a Sanford. Thank person. you, thank you for not doing that and, and yeah, being a fan course. of both. By the way, of course, I'm a man of integrity. I'd like to think um, you have morals. And uh, I, I say from the the world's view, it's just they view him as very hypocritical because he did say I'm going to be completely out of the way. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to be going to games because I don't want to be a distraction. And then you show up to a game and. But he still is like and, he's vice chancellor or something. So like it's fine that he shows up. Yeah. It's, it's just be transparent about it. You yeah. Know? Um, or be consistent with what you say you're going to do. Right. And so. Like yeah. I, I couldn't imagine. It, put yourself on that team last year. And you're playing that last regular season game against North Carolina. That was crazy. And you want to beat Carolina so badly. And they're doing all this stuff for Coach K, all these ceremonies, and you lose. Yeah, that was tough. And then they all had to sit there because the ceremony was after the yeah. game. And they had just had to sit there as uh, you know, after a loss to your bitter rival. Um, and then you're doing all this thing, all these things, really for your team and the sake of your program. But really, you know, deep down, it's Coach K's last run. You're, you make it to the Final Four. And they're like, oh, here we go. Carolina Duke in the Final Four. This is it. They already lost once. Redemption story. And then they lose again. Yeah. Like that pressure, I could not imagine being one of those players. Yeah. No, it's it's tough because uh, it was more than basketball. Um, and, and, you know, like we were, I was just saying about, and obviously a little bit of a smaller scale, but like I was saying about the Furman game, uh, we're trying to treat it as just, any other game, even though probably in the back of our minds we know that there's a little more meaning and weight and gravity to it. Uh, I can only imagine the distractions and everything that came with with that. You think about that level of press, that level of buildup. Um, for really both of those games, I mean, you're playing in a Final Four, and, and I think that one was a little more normalized. But, yeah, that regular season uh, Duke-UNC game, that was, that was crazy. There was a full week of buildup to it. Um, That's, you know, it. That game was almost like having a birthday party 
for like one of your family members and it's like 50 or 60 or 75 or 80 or something. And then it's like someone just comes and like steps on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're a UNC fan, that had to be those last, those two games had to be two of your favorite. You got to ruin that birthday party twice. Or even if you're just a Duke hater, which I know, you know, from, from my experience growing up, uh, there are many Duke haters because people love to, uh, to give me a hard time for for being a supporter. Yeah, but what's crazy is Nate Oates made him retire. That's what people say. If you we're know, going off said, the law of the transitive property, some have said, uh, and you know, um, some have said that he also called him out on some of his lies. That that's not me. I'm just saying what people you know, have it, said. And now people are are wondering: Is Nate Oates pushing John Calipari to Texas? Mm. We got to wow. think about these things. You don't get this on other college basketball no. podcasts. This is this is the real inside source knowledge here, um, that is conspiracy speculation. Absolutely, that's what we do best. Um, yeah. So obviously, going off of college basketball, let's kind of touch on college football this week. It's been three weeks since we've recorded, and since then we have a new OC in DC um, at Alabama, and you know there was not a lot of excitement around the hires, um, and at first I kind of was. Especially the Kevin Steele one, I was like, ah, I don't know. Um, it was one of those where Alabama and Auburn fans kind of look at each other and they're like, okay, yeah, coach for us, he coached for y'all. All right, we'll take him back. That's fine. I'll tell you what, though, I think it's, you know, this could age horribly, um, or this could age great. I think it's going to turn out to be two phenomenal hires, uh, and I think Saban made great Saban moves. I don't know how to really say it other than that. Um, I think that we're going to look back on these hires, and, and maybe maybe Kevin Steele is a stopgap until uh, we can get uh, Pruitt or whoever we want in there. Um, Pruitt Singleton, offensive coordinator <laughs> at Alabama. But I think it's just going to be um, getting a little bit back to the standard, and, and, and that excites me. So uh, we're going to see. Uh, I don't know what to expect out of next year's team. Uh, obviously, we'll be good, but the question is how good. Um Alabama fans, we have pretty crazy expectations, so um, it's always national championship or bust mentality. As it should be. It's Alabama football. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, and, and hear more about um, the response from the players to these hires and to these coaches um, and just kind of how everyone inside the building is feeling about it. But for the time being, off of zero source knowledge, off of zero um really knowledge of any kind, I'm, I'm saying I think it's, it's going to end up being a good hire. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I lied about the three and a half minutes. And if you're still listening, great. If not, all right. Real we'll, see you, we'll see you next time. But when you look, because this is Kevin Steele's third stand at Alabama, when you look at Nick Saban's, I guess now, 15-plus year career at Alabama, there are different segments and eras. Uh, how would you segment where we are right now? And let's go back and try and, and start at 2007 and segment and say, all right, this was kind of the first stage of where he was at Alabama. Mm-hmm. You, you, we'll, we'll collaboratively do this together. So you give me the first one, first segment. I'll give you the second segment. So I'm going to say first segment, um, establishing the process. I'm, I'm going to include through 2013. I'm basically through the one of the worst experiences in my life that was the kick six. Um you have three national championships in that, but it was less about offense other than really establishing the run game. Um, and I, I hate using the word game manager, but 
quarterbacks who maybe didn't have to do as much as you look at the quarterbacks of Bama now and, and what they're tasked with. Or were not nearly as skilled. I'm, I'm not going to hate on my boy A.J. McCarron, but I don't disagree with that. Uh, hey, estimate. he is starting in the XFL today, so he's back. He's a professional quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'd say that that's – I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is that, I'd say that's the end of the first era if it were yeah. me. And then, and then you have the introduction of uh, a new dynamic character that is the Lane Kiffin coming in uh, starting that 2014 season. And, and, and this was also kind of the shift of, you talked about styles. Alabama mm-hmm. had to adjust its style, its personnel, to kind of what I would say Oregon kind of helped establish in college football in the late 2000s uh, and early 2010s. Alabama yeah. had to adapt. Yeah, and, and, and so here's what makes Saban the GOAT, other than just the accomplishments and achievements, is his ability to adapt. And you see really the first example of that being with um, the hiring of Kiffin and saying, hey, we're going to run a little bit more of a spread. Um, Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Yeah, no no kidding. Um, and so I would say, and, and again, this is where it's collaborative. I want to see what you think about this. The second era or the second stint of this dynasty, it ends, here's, you could either say end of the 2016 season or end of the 2017 season. Um, Kiffin left after the 2016 season, but 2017 was a lot of the same with Pruitt as the D.C., just absolute monster defenses yeah. um, coupled with um, really just more fun and exciting offenses. I wouldn't say we were putting up 100 points like we are now, um, but it but that, was— That was the start of, of right. a highly dynamic offense. Right, uh, and that, that would span through Blake Sims, Jay Coker— and at least that first year of the um, the Hurts experience, um, and and so then the third era for me, I'd say, is kind of the superstar quarterback era, if you will. And so that's where it gets dicey. Do you? I want think to it start? starts in the second half of the 2017 national okay. championship. And I hate to be cliche <laughs> by saying that, but once yeah. you saw Tua, you know that's it's you a little get, different. You get Bryce Young a couple years later. You've got a beast of a wide receiver room something that will never be paralleled again in college football in yeah. my opinion and dynamic offensive line ex- now i don't want to say explosive but a very skilled sound talented defensive unit we'll say not just at one position yeah. um you know kind of the transition from the jonathan allens of the lane kiffin era on defense to your more speed guys that that bring way to Patrick Sertan and Jordan Battle more recently um so we're into this third segment of of post 2017 halftime national championship game and you get all these dynamic quarterbacks I don't know if Mac Jones is dynamic but the people around him were dynamic which made him highly successful and it was also about just the way the team was built um you look at the first two stints that we were talking about the first one is all about interior line play um, and just absolute monsters on defense. But you look at a guy like Trey DePriest, um, who was just a, th- a big old boy, but probably was more of a Shane Lee-type build in terms of the way he moved. And obviously Shane Lee started for us in that 2018 season, but um, the reason he didn't continue to start was because he couldn't move sideline to sideline like we wanted him to. Um, and so that's where I'd say it's just that you see when Kiffin came in, we had similar personnel, maybe a little bit more speed, but it was just the way we played that was different. And then you see starting with, you know, however you want to phrase this third era, third stage, whatever, um, 
it was a complete change in the way we 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 built around the skill positions. We built around um, having great quarterbacks, great receivers, running backs that could that could run and catch and do everything. You look at Najee, you look at Jameer Gibbs, um, and it was just a completely different style of team. Um, 2019, 2020 Alabama looks nothing like 2011, 2012 Alabama. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of that is due to the offensive coordinators and their experience. So mm-hmm. you've got Dable, and then you've got Sarkeesian, and then you've got Big Brain Bob, <laughs> uh, who sometimes didn't always play with a big brain throwing the no. ball inside the red no, zone. No. Uh, not that you had the ability to block and run the ball anyways, so you had to throw. But right. um, So now I, now I say that all because now I think we're moving into the fourth segment yeah. of the Nick Saban era at Alabama with Kevin Steele and uh, our new young gun who looks like he's still in college. Good old Tommy Reese. <laughs> at offensive coordinator. Mr. Mr. Reese, the GOAT. Absolutely. And and so this is kind of, I think, what we were saying before we started recording, and um, correct me if you disagree with this anyway, I think this either marks the fourth era of a dynasty or it marks the beginning of the end um, of that dynasty. And so... Um, you know, and I, I said that before we even made the hires, and I still believe it after the hires have been made, in that um, we're either going to see a, a reestablish, a reestablishing of the standard of Alabama football, um, or kind of a continuation of a slippage that may lead to um, a, a, a decline, which is weird to say because I think even if we were going to say that we're in a decline, we could still win a national championship one out of every four years, um, but just kind of a Maybe not the the teams that we're used to. Yeah. Something like that. All right. So that's going to do it here on the Main Streets Podcast. If you're still listening, first of all, congratulations. You made it through the yep. gauntlet. I lied about three and a half minutes, about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go ahead and clip this, publish this. And, uh, Britton, I will leave you with the last word here on the Main Streets Podcast as we approach March in the last week of SoCon basketball play. Yeah, um, I know we we talked about it in great detail, but uh, an opportunity for a championship to be claimed Saturday. And so anybody in the Birmingham area, uh, come out and support the Bulldogs. It's going to be a really special afternoon um, and hopefully one for the record books. So uh, roll tide, go Bulldogs.